Welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here. My name is Simone Borghesi. I'm the director of FSR Climate, the research group on climate here at the Florence School of Regulation. Today, it's a, it's a real pleasure to have you here and uh, discuss such an interesting topic. I have to say, first of all, thanks to uh, the organizer, Isabella Luizio, Pierre Schlosser, and Simone Siliani for, for this event. It's their merit for bringing such a hot topic here and, uh, and you around this table. Um, it's a particular pleasure for me to introduce this workshop for a couple of reasons. First of all, because it's a first uh, collaboration between FSR Climate and FSR Banking, uh, something that we have discussed over these uh, months, and that actually I expect to grow even more uh, in the future, given our common interest. And secondly, for the topic itself, and uh, it's really important to discuss uh, this topic in my view, and the principles for responsible banking are of interest to each of us, uh, to each of us as uh, bank clients, <laughs> as uh, investors, uh, I would say in my personal case also as researcher, <laughs> because uh, at FSR Climate we we uh, work on, this, on these issues more and more. We are focusing uh, in a live project on the European Emission Trading System or the uh, cooperation among uh, emission trading system, but also on climate finance. And on this topic, uh, together with Isabella and the School of Transitional Governance, we organized an executive training seminar some months ago. Um, banks can obviously have a very large impact on climate change, not directly, but indirectly through their credit decisions. And their choices are particularly relevant uh, for the future years, for the years in front of us. Um, the number of banks signing in, in New York shows the commitment that is uh, rapidly growing. There are 49 countries. Uh, the amount of assets is estimated to be 47 trillion US dollars. Uh, this is really an impressive amount, even if you compare to a country level. So our question today is really to understand what is the right path as the title suggests, to responsibility and sustainability from the banking viewpoint. Banking and climate will need to go hand in hand more and more in the future. So this path has to, has to be walked along uh, quite fast, I would, I would say. And in this, I would like to add just a personal thought. Uh, because I like the topic particularly because it reminds me of when I was a student. And when I was a student, a professor I, I graduated with and then I, I wrote with, uh, Alessandro Vercelli, was introducing somehow the, the topic uh, within the bank. He was working uh, as a uh, member of the council for. 
And at that time, it sounded a bit strange, if you want, something totally new. But I remember participating to these uh, workshops uh, with Charles Perrings, uh, with uh, Stieglitz, with Kenneth Arrow. So, I mean, some very famous economists already in the early 90s understood the importance of the bank role for climate change. Now, the point is, on the one hand, I'm happy to see this growing. On the other hand, I'm a bit worried that this is too, too slow because it's 20 years uh, since that time. That were the early steps, but, you know, uh, things are changing fast and we would need to, to walk faster probably. We would need to speed up given what we observe uh, at the climate level, and if, even given what people ask for nowadays in the street. So having said that, I don't want to spoil your time. I just want to say thanks and say again welcome to, to the Institute for this workshop. And I now leave the floor to Simone Siliani, who will moderate the workshop. Okay. Hello. Thank you. Um, yeah. I'm Simone Siliani. I'm the director of uh, Fondazione Finanza Etica, who has organized together with the um, in, uh, Institute, uh, European University Institute this meeting. Uh, let me just introduce for, uh, with a few words the uh, items that we are willing to discuss today. Um, well, sustainability has become, uh, together with responsibility, uh, a key word, in, even in the field of finance and banking. And there is a sort of auction no? in, in which every actor rises up his hands and, say, and speaks loud and says, yeah, I'm sustainable uh, plus responsible, or yeah, sustainable plus one. Uh, so a trend that is so strong that uh, one could, all, could say, hey, great, we solved the problem. Everybody is doing sustainability and um, responsibility. So what's the problem? Unfortunately, the problem is far from being solved. And by the way, some, uh, someone says that it's getting worse every day because at least the time is running away. And so there are some fundamental questions that arise that I would like to put on the floor here to, the, uh, to this discussion. First of all, why despite such an anonymous, um, anonymous pledge in favor of sustainability, uh, finance all over the world keeps financing unsustainable activities? Um, uh, just let me give you an example. Banks and pension funds all over the world have financed for $44 billion in six years the big corporation of agribusiness in Amazonian uh, forest, Congo, and New Guinea, uh, Guinea involved in the deforestation process. And they are the same that saying, are saying we are in favor of sustainability. So uh, there's a trend, but there's a, a, an ongoing process that is not seen to be stopped in some way. Secondly, are the present and the forthcoming regulations at let's say the EU level, maybe, um, strong and clear enough to effectively promote a real change of the paradigm in the financial world. Is, is that so? 
Thirdly, um, are they just these um, regulations an encouragement to take the first step, or are they a veil to cover business as usual, a business as usual approach? And finally, let's go to the point: the um, principles of, um, for responsible banking. Um, uh, let's say, do we need uh, in this time principles or regulations or incentives? I would say that probably we need all of these, uh, but in which mix? Um, this question is quite serious uh, because just to mention the latest case of these principles, it's important from my point of view that so many banks actors are um, uh, discussing over the principles of, responsi of responsible banking. Uh, but I have to underline that, uh, uh, let's say, re let's reflect on the fact that 33 of the world's main banks have financed the fossil fuel sector for uh, $1,900 billion in the three years following the Paris, uh, the Paris Agreement. 16 out of those 33 have signed in for the principle of responsible banking. So, what is happening, really? Does this process have the skills or the power to change their approach? Are they really or willing to change their approach? Um, this is a, a, it's, it's a, a real, a, an open question. We have to face it if we want to make some real progress in this, uh, on this path. So, therefore, I will leave, leave the floor to uh, Simone Detling, who is the, um, uh, the team leader of the, uh, of the UNIP who has uh, drawn this uh, principle for uh, responsible banking. And I think that she will tell us how the uh, process has begun, has uh, since now uh, worked out, and then we'll have the discussion in this panel. Thank you. Okay, I am back. Yes, you're here. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, let's try this again. Uh, and it, oh yeah, thank you very much. So uh, it is actually wonderful to see the room. Uh, and as I said, sorry I can't be there in person. Uh, we're very restricted with uh, travel these days. Uh, but I do think uh, that is not necessarily a bad thing, uh, given the CO2 emissions that come with flying and travel. So I hope uh, this mode of interaction will work. It's uh, very exciting to be speaking uh, with uh, colleagues, with students uh, at a university. You can imagine we have a lot of interaction uh, with uh, professionals from around the world, uh, with civil society. But I think in many uh, ways, your institutions uh, are the ones that produce uh, the next generation. And so uh, that's who we need to speak to. Uh, thanks very much for the uh, introduction and uh, congratulations on the collaboration between FSR Climate and FSR Banking. Very important uh, that you find together. Uh, and thanks also for, um, I think, the very critical, but very much to the point questions that have been set out uh, in uh, uh, the introduction just now. And uh, I think uh, some 
we will uh, address a little bit in the presentation, uh, but I think others uh, will be very relevant for the discussion, and I do hope that we have a, a very rich interaction today. Um, so let's get started. Let me try and share screen from my side, so you have uh, also the benefit of uh, the slides. That's looking not too bad. Okay, fantastic. I think uh, for those of you who uh, who are very involved in the banking side of things, um, this is not news. Uh, two thirds of financing globally is provided through banks and uh, in developing countries. And that's uh, where most of the work needs to be done to meet the sustainable development goals. It's over 90%. And beyond that, banks do have quite a unique role in our financial system and in our economy, um, in that they are very much the intermediaries between the real economy and the financial markets. Uh, they are directly involved with real economy clients. And so their relationships, their products and services are an immense lever to incentivize and support clients, both corporate clients and retail customers in their own transition uh, towards more sustainable technologies, business models, but also lifestyles. Uh, and that's how we really create impact in the real economy. And so from our perspective here at the United Nations, the banking industry's engagement is really critical to achieving both the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, and for us, it's, it's always both frameworks. I mean, those are our two target frameworks. This is what we are working towards. I understand that in Europe, the focus is often very strongly on climate, but let's not forget that large parts of the world also struggle significantly um, with social and, and economic issues uh, and that we do need to have a, a holistic and a, a context specific view. And I'll get a bit into the details of, of how the principles address that. Uh, what do we really want? What do we need? And also what do the banks and people who work in the banks strive towards? Um, I think that's really a responsible banking industry that plays a key part in society and in helping societies uh, to achieve its objectives for a sustainable future, to head where it wants and where it needs to head. I think a few words on, on the development of these principles, because uh, I do think the, the how they were um, developed by whom they were developed uh, is, is quite important. Uh, I work at a part of the UN called the UN Environment Finance Initiative. And uh, we have about 250 banks, investors and insurers uh, that are members of this uh, initiative. And banks are our largest groups. Uh, we have about 160 member banks from over 60 countries around the world. And uh, it was very much their decision and their drive uh, to establish a global framework with which the banking industry is putting forward a clear, let's say, proposal is putting on the table 
what its role and what its responsibility is and, and should be and what responsibility it will take in helping societies around the world, but also humanity uh, as one in achieving its objectives for a sustainable future. Now, we can't work with 160 banks at once. That's uh, logistically very difficult. So we had 30 banks from among this group come forward uh, and uh, take the lead on behalf and in consultation with the others. And it's really a very diverse group. You will see that they come from all corners of the world, from developed, from developing nations, different sizes, different business models and focus areas. And that diversity was quite important in order to ensure that we create a framework that is applicable and effective uh, for banks in all parts of the world. Of course, uh, there is uh, the banks themselves, but there are other important stakeholders. Uh, so we did have a group of civil society institutions, 13 of them that advised uh, the banks in the early development of the principles. Among them were institutions like WWF and Oxfam. And then when the banks had a draft, we really went out for a global public consultation for half a year uh, to ensure that we would get input from stakeholders from banks around the world, that this would be critically reviewed. And then I think uh, this is already um, something that uh, your uh, colleague mentioned in the introduction. It was a quite large coalition uh, at the end of the day. Over a third of the global banking industry was part in launching this a few weeks ago in New York together with uh, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. So also very high priority for this uh, on the side of the UN because we know we need the banking industry on board uh, and attended by 45 bank CEOs from around the world. So also really top level engagement from the banking industry. So, so far so good. The coalition is there, the high level people are there, um, but what are they committing to? And what are the mechanisms um, through which these, this framework will ensure to address some of the shortcomings that I think your colleague pointed out in terms of, of previous commitments, but also what can we expect realistically and what can we not expect? Uh, so there are six principles with the Paris Climate Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals. And uh, that is a, a commitment as far reaching as hasn't been there before. So this isn't just about, well, we will ramp up what we're doing. Uh, this is about, we will show how aligned or misaligned we are at this point in time. And we make a plan, we will make a plan to make sure how we're doing business, what we're financing is consistent with these objectives uh, and uh, that we are contributing towards them at a scale that is appropriate for the size of the balance sheet of the respective bank. What is quite important is, and this is something that uh, has been missing very much in uh, previous frameworks in the industry is that this reaches to the strategic level. Uh, because at the end of the day, this is really about the understanding of the bank, not only of what its role is, but also of what it takes um, to be successful in the future. And to understand that um, a successful bank 
uh, will need to work with society, will need to identify the opportunities uh, from the changes in economy, in society required to uh, achieve a sustainable future, and will need to avoid the risks, mitigate the risks, uh, from and, and uh, reduce the risks from, from not being in line with where society is heading. What is really the key mechanism here of how this framework will work is, is the target setting. So banks need to provide an analysis um, of their current portfolio and uh, their impacts, both positive and negative. And uh, based on that, in those areas where they have the most significant impact, set, publish, quite importantly, and, and implement targets. Um, and those targets need to be linked to external frameworks and very clearly show how over time they're going to lead to alignment with the SDGs and, and the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, and that's a very concrete, very key mechanism that at the same time uh, allows what I talked about in the beginning. Uh, this is for banks from around the world and different nations, different parts of the world face different challenges. So when we talk about where a bank you know, has or can have its most significant impact, that also depends very much on the challenges that that society is facing. And so by setting individual targets, banks uh, can very much um, adapt this framework to what is most important in their local context, to what is most relevant for their society, and also on what they have most influence given their business model and their current portfolio. So let me get through the principles, um, and I'll do that um, at a very high level. We can go into detail for any one of them, because I do want to talk a little bit about the mechanisms uh, and then I also want to make sure that we have lots of time to address the very pertinent questions that your colleague has set out. So principle one, alignment, that's really the, the vision, the objective here, aligning banks with society's goals for a sustainable future. So making sure that society's goals become an integral part of the bank's own strategic objectives, that banks systematically understand where opportunities lie from helping society to achieve its objectives and uh, where risks lie uh, from not being in line with that. And uh, to really develop a strategic outlook um, and uh, develop the business in a direction that uh, is in line with and, and supports where society needs to head. And. Uh, how do banks do this uh, in practice? First step is, of course, uh, to understand their impacts. And uh, <laughs> I think impact is a word that, that you know, is, is in quite common use today. But uh, actually here, it's, uh, it's in a way a bit of a revolution. And uh, I think it's quite key to the change in viewpoints uh, within the banks that these principles are working towards. It's no longer just about what uh, effects do developments in the world have on my risk, my portfolio. Uh, it's about what impact does what I'm doing, what I'm financing have on the world. So it was very much an, an inside out view, uh, a recognition 
that the bank is not just responsible for uh, what happens within its own portfolio, with its own profitability, with its own risk, but that it is very much responsible for and has a role to play in, in creating impact uh, outside in the wider economy and society. And this here is also the principle where the target setting is anchored. And once again, banks are required to set targets where they really matter most, really in the core business, not in some periphery uh, areas uh, of, of you know, what they lend to. Now, how do banks achieve an improvement in their impact? How do they achieve their targets? And uh, that brings us to principle three, clients and customers. Why? Because if you think about it, um, really the, the vast majority of the impact that a bank has is through the companies, the projects, the customers, it provides financial services to. And uh, so it can achieve its most significant impact really through working with its clients and customers, incentivizing them, encouraging them, accompanying and facilitating their transition towards more sustainable technologies, business models, lifestyles. And uh, I think that touches a, a very important point, I think that is under big discussion um, also in civil society currently. Uh, there is a lot of discussion around divestment. And uh, to a certain extent, that may make sense for investors. But even there, the question is, if one investor divests, doesn't some others just pick it up? Um, but here for the banking industry, because of, of the special role banking has as intermediary between the financial sector and the real economy, the way banks can really create impact in the real economy is less by walking away from clients and much more by getting these clients to change. By walking away from a client, yes, maybe over time there will be an indirect impact for that client to change. But if a bank can work with a client and get it to implement changes, that is really where we see impact in the real economy. And uh, I think at this point also maybe maybe one mentioning. I mean, we we do get these figures of of how much fossil fuel uh, banks um, have financed, and uh, I'm not saying that they don't need to significantly change what and how they're financing. Uh, but I think one practical thing we do need to keep in mind: uh, banks provide corporate loans. Project finance by, by banks, for some banks it's a business area, but it's not huge and it's not the majority of what banks do. Uh, banks provide uh, corporate loans and those go to an entire company and sometimes it's a huge multinational company. And they're engaged in a, in a myriad of uh, technologies um, and, and maybe even, even different business sectors. So A, it's not always super easy to understand what uh, the company all operates in, uh, but B, it's also a bank finances an energy company. It doesn't just finance fossil fuel or renewable. By default, it finances the entire portfolio that that energy company has. 
And uh, so I think with this principle, it's very much the recognition that it is about working with this company to change the portfolio. Let me move on a bit, but uh, I imagine maybe in the discussion we go back to that. Um, there is only so much that banks can do um, on their own and by themselves. Um, they are incredibly powerful and yet they are a part of a larger system. And I think your colleague has earlier already spoken about regulation. Um, I think also we need to recognize that politics and policy and political environments play a strong role. And so principle four is really about banks working with stakeholders. That of course includes civil society uh, to really understand their impacts, understand where and how they can improve. Uh, but it also includes working with regulators and policymakers uh, in a transparent way, um, but using their influence and weight uh, and uh, to uh, really work towards achievement uh, of society's long-term goal for a sustainable future and to work with stakeholders to create an, an environment where that is conducive to the uh, economic and social transition that we need for that. Now, principles one to four um, are, are great, but we always say uh, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, really implementing changes uh, within a bank, new strategic objectives, uh, achieving the targets that a bank has set out very much depends on the people within it. And so principle five is about governance and culture. So about an effective governance structure with clear roles, responsibilities, allocation of sufficient resources to achieve these uh, goals, but also about a very clear culture change. And that's not something that is easy to achieve and from one day to another, uh, but it's very clear that uh, unless uh, every staff in the bank and every decision they make and every action they take um, have in mind and take into account society's goals, take into account sustainability impacts. Unless that happens, we don't really have responsible banking. And along with, um, I think, this, this uh, culture change uh, also goes a view of accountability a view of accountability, not just towards shareholders, but also towards employees and towards society uh, at large. And uh, banks very much commit here to be transparent and to be transparent on their positive and their negative impact. And that sounds trivial, but this and negative was one of the most contentious discussions we've had. Uh, and a certainly one of the biggest changes um, that we will see from these principles. I mean, if you look at CSR reports so far, they're very nice and shiny and talk about all the good things, but it is really about providing a, a balanced account. That's for the principles themselves. Um, a quick word on uh, implementation and timeline. Uh, so there are really three key steps that banks need to be taking within the first year, uh, first four years of signing up. And now sometimes we get, ooh, four years is long. Um, 
two things. Um, change is not always <laughs> trivial and fast in institutions that sometimes have over 200,000 employees in dozens of countries. But second, also keep in mind that this is a global framework where we don't just have European banks, but also banks from Mongolia, El Salvador, Kenya, Malaysia, Philippines, um, that are maybe just, you know, starting out on this agenda and need to build a lot of capacity internally. So step one is really um, about impact analysis. So banks need to understand, to assess what their positive and imp negative impacts are with regards to climate and to key sustainable development goals, especially those that are priorities in their countries, and to publish that. And based on that, to identify, okay, where do we have the most significant impact? And then in those areas to set and implement targets and to publish those. And uh, banks need to set minimum two targets. And uh, these targets, as I said, need to clearly show um, how in terms of, of negative impacts, uh, banks align with society's goals and how they scale up their positive impacts uh, to uh, what their share would be given the sectors they're, they're in um, and uh, where their country needs to go. And then step three is really around uh, accountability. So banks need to uh, report back for the first time uh, within 18 months of joining. That gives them enough time to align with their normal reporting cycle and then thereafter annually in line with their reporting cycle. I will, for the moment, leave it uh, here. Uh, as I said, uh, I'm, I'm quite interested in your view and in addressing some of the questions that have been set out in the beginning and discussing them. But also happy, of course, to answer any questions you might have with regards to this. Okay. Thank you very much, Simone. Um, uh, yeah, maybe if there's anybody in the room here that has any question to submit to Simone, I think she would be happy to answer. I don't know if she could stay with us for the whole uh, seminar. Uh, so, in any time, just raise your hand and, okay. So if nobody has questions right now, I will leave the floor to Alessandro Messina, who's the general director of Banca Etica. Okay, thank you, Simone. Thank you to the European University Institute for the invitation. Uh, I'm honored to be here and lead here the uh, uh, take here the experience of Banca Etica. Banca Etica is a, a small bank in Italy operating in Italy and Spain and uh, let's say that in some way we can say Banca Etica is a, a natural sustainable bank. Uh, but maybe to understand this uh, uh, we, we must say something about sustainability. Uh, Mr. Borghese before said that banks' impact on climate change can be relevant. Uh, I think this is true. 
and the view of Banca Etica is that uh, this is true, true because sustainability is a matter of, uh, let's say, uh, distribution and fairness in the access to resources. Uh, and uh, who do distribute resources? Who do have a role in distribution and in favoring a fairer distribution? Of course, governments, public governments, but this is not in this discussion. And uh, of course, finance, and so banks. Banks uh, have a natural role in distributing resources. Uh, from people to people, from states to states, from sectors to sectors, and so on. Um, the idea under the project of Banca Etica is that a bank can uh, orientate all its activity to be a positive promoter of impact in this action of distribution of resources. Uh, this is a radical idea of sustainability. Uh, let's say we can speak about uh, um, a fully sustainable orientation of the activity of bank. And we are aware this is not the, uh, uh, the kind of approach underlying the uh, uh, UNEP uh, principles. And of course, we understand this. Uh, uh, we are speaking about a very specific banking project uh, in respect of typical, general, maximizing, profit maximizing banks uh, at a global level. Uh, but today I will speak about Banca Etica. Uh, so let's say that uh, we consider sustainability as a a problem as a perspective of uh, full orientation. It means uh, not only we concern about how do not harm with the use of money, but we consider even at the same way how do promote positive impact. In terms of what? What, what, what do we mean by positive impact? In terms of uh, peace, human rights, social cohesion, quality of environment and life. So we care about this when we do use money by financing or investing. Uh, we are not only in the world. Uh, we are part of a network of global uh, banks, uh, Global Alliance for Banking on Values, which nowadays uh, include about 50 banks in the world, and uh, we are members of FEBEA. FEBEA is the European Federation of Alternative Banks. Um, of course, we represent a very small share of the banking market. Uh, a relevant point, according to us, is that uh, it is not important only what finance does, but it's important also how finance works. 
Just let me say something about this. Uh, maybe we know that in the world, all us know that in the world, every day about uh, uh, 50 times uh, the world GDP are moved by speculative finance in terms of derivatives and high-frequency trading. And uh, we know that after the great crisis 11 years ago, uh, most has been said about this, but never has been done. Nothing has been done. So nowadays we are the same point in terms of volumes, stocks of speculative trading, intensity. Let's say that every day we see about uh, half of transactions based on a speculative orientation. There is no connection with real economy. That it doesn't mean, of course, a sustainable economy. But of course, being real is just something more <laughs> that than being only speculative. This is a matter of issue, of a process. It's not a matter of what you do, but how you do it. And uh, uh, we think, we believe that it is crucial, speaking about banking activities, focusing on this. And we stimulate the European Commission that now is working on the uh, action plan for sustainable finance the United Nations and every institution working on this, uh, focusing also on this issue. Let's come to Banca Etica. Okay, uh, let's say, but can a bank uh, moved by such a principle, such a radical uh, vision work? This is our experience. Uh, does it work? Maybe, okay. Uh, what do we mean by ethical bank? Uh, we are a cooperative, uh, so it means uh, uh, economic democracy, participation, and so on. And the main principles we are based on are transparency, participation, sobriety, efficiency, and so on. Let's say the awareness of the non-economic consequences of uh, the economic actions we uh, carry on. We consider credit as a human right, and we know that this is a provocation for all the financial system. We are the Italian pioneer in what we can say ESG uh, finance uh, impact investment. Uh, historically, Banca Etica uh, started 20 years ago. Uh, we were focused on uh, the so-called non-profit sector. Nowadays, we finance uh, not only non-profit institutions, but even uh, responsible business and uh, households. And this is an effect of the financial crisis. When, uh, let's say, we, we observe the credit crunch phenomenon, we started, we decided to uh, invest even in traditional sectors, where we consider were not our role, but the, the facts were putting us in front of this necessity. Uh, we believe in real transparency. What I mean by real? We, we are one of the few banks in the world publishing 
all loans financing we do. So you can go on the website and there finding who is the uh, firm, how much we gave, uh, and so on. And uh, you can do this uh, even uh, in, in Italy and, and in Spain. Uh, we believe this is necessary in order to respect the promise we do to savers when we say we will give you where your money will go. But this is not a value point. We believe this is a systemic point. We do believe that this kind of behavior would help the stability of the overall financial system. We do believe that some financial crises we observed in the recent past maybe, maybe, would have been uh, reduced or even uh, avoided if this kind of behavior could be uh, generalized. We have an integrated uh, approach to impact and credit assessment. We conduct the evaluation of any uh, financing operation, uh, both looking at the economic and financial aspects and the social and environmental ones. So uh, this kind of process, since the beginning of Banca Etica, are integrated and conduct to a, a, an integrated decision where the uh, credit worthiness of, of, of an operation is uh, judged in under all these uh, perspectives. Okay, I said we are a cooperative. We are about uh, 42,000 shareholders nowadays. And uh, you see the trend of our uh, capital and uh, members during time. During time, uh, we increased a lot, let's say. You see in the red line the average level for the banking system in Italy. We are speaking about uh, uh, deposits and savings here. And uh, you see the trend in the green line for Banca Etica. Uh, similar trend for uh, credit activity. You see the red line uh, for Italian banks and the green line uh, in, uh, for Banca Etica. Uh, and this growth did not affect the quality of our uh, credit portfolio. So the level of MPL and the trends of uh, coverage ratio uh, for our portfolio of credit uh, are very good and under any average level of the Italian, even European banks. Uh, we can say we, are, we have a good level of uh, uh, capital, uh, about uh, nowadays uh, about uh, 12 and 50 point, 12 and 50 percent uh, uh, as a chat one. Uh, of course, this is crucial since we are a cooperative. We do not, uh, we do not raise capital in the financial markets uh, and this is maybe one of our uh, principal challenges in the next years. Uh, our market share is uh, increasing. 
Uh, of course, this is even an effect of what is happening in the market because small banks are disappearing in Italy, you know. Uh, we, we passed from 1,000 banks uh, almost 20 years ago to nowadays about 200 banks operating, strictly operating in Italy. So the growing market, the, the, the market share necessarily is uh, reflecting this. Uh, we are investing uh, much for uh, digital innovation. We are uh, trying to stay on the market to respond to what are now new customer needs and even the, uh, the needs of the uh, firms, uh, non-profit institutions and even public institutions we, we finance. Uh, we are active in microfinance in the world. This is a, a strong commitment we receive from our members because our members are, have a strong, uh, let's say, uh, orientation to what is happening in the south of the world, in the developing countries and so on. So uh, not in a direct way, but uh, together in partnership with some institutions, selected institutions like Equicredit, uh, CopMed uh, and several Others, uh, we now, nowadays reach about 50,000 beneficiaries in microfinance activities uh, uh, outside of Europe. And as I said at the beginning, we are also the pioneer in Italy of what is called the ACG, ESG investment uh, finance. Uh, we, um, in our group, in the Banca Etica group, we have a, a company, Etica, SGR, that is uh, an asset management company. Uh, nowadays, they, they manage about 4 billion euros from about 250,000 uh, clients. And uh, this is a, a very relevant trend for a big, a small uh, banking group. And uh, we, are, we are about uh, at, the second, at the second position in the Italian market, in terms of uh, market share, in the Italian market of ESG investment. And every year, Etica SGR uh, um, calculates the impact of these investments uh, on listed companies selected by a sustainable uh, view uh, in terms of uh, emissions avoided, uh, number of uh, employees, uh, uh, and so on. And of course, you can find it on the web. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alessandro. I'll give the floor immediately to Marco Morganti, who's the Impact Managing Director of Intesa San Paolo, so a different kind of bank, big bank. The biggest Italian banking group. But the story I would like to start with is the story of Banca Prossima, which is a little part of this big group. Uh, having done something, something different from uh, the rest of the bank, but uh, uh, 11 or 12 years ago, starting with a path which is uh, deeply coherent with these principles that uh, uh, that uh, Simon Detling uh, uh, explained to us. 
So the story of Banca Prossima is shortly uh, resumable in this way. Uh, Twelve years ago, some, somebody, <laughs> a guy, I was that guy, I'm, I'm considered as the founder of Banca Prossima, which isn't a, a, a right definition, but uh, can be used because I was there the moment when the bank uh, was created and uh, I had a significant part in writing the articles of association of the bank. So I can start from there. I was there and uh, my task was to create a bank, our task was to create a bank uh, dedicated to third sector. Third sector in Italy has a dimension and a role in, uh, let's say, in the, in the future of, uh, of the country in terms of uh, providing services and uh, co creating a, a, a social cohesion in the country that uh, clearly deserves uh, a different approach, a banking, a different uh, banking approach and uh, maybe a different dedicated bank, which is the, the, the starting point for Banca Prossima. So Banca Prossima started with this uh, aim to be different towards this kind of uh, world that can be interpreted through different uh, principles from the usual ones the ones that you use when you are approaching a, uh, a PMA in Italian, uh, uh, SM, uh, SME, uh, exactly. Uh, an SME in, uh, in the usual way, uh, considering the material uh, assets of the bank on which you can create your algorithm leading to the answer yes or the answer not in terms of bankability. Following those, uh, uh, let's say, usual uh, criteria, the entire uh, building, delicate and at the same time so strong building of uh, uh, social economy could be destroyed because uh, uh, those criteria simply ignore the reason why reasons why this economy is so resilient. Uh, we had at that time a sort of an evidence, a, a, an empiric evidence of the fact that this economy performs in a different way from the, the one we could forecast, looking at the simple material assets they have. They have another force a different force to be caught, to be understood, and to be considered in order to give credit. This is the, the, the initial pact with our shareholders, which were Intesa San Paolo and the foundations belonging to the system of Intesa San Paolo. So a dedicated bank to a full impact economy whose uh, objective is creating common good, a common advantage for the community, and as a, secondary, uh, as a secondary aim to be sustainable in terms of economy, in, in economic terms. This bank has uh, special criteria uh, in order to judge the sustainability of uh, social enterprises, which, is, uh, which are uh, foundations, uh, associations, uh, um, social co-ops, uh, and uh, the social activities, let me say, uh, social activities of 
all the different churches, not just the Catholic one. So this is the, the field, the, the, the playing field. And uh, uh, for that playing field, we developed some different rules uh, in order to evaluate the sustainability. This is the first point. The second point is uh, dedicated to people, because uh, a bank uh, or, uh, in fact, uh, any kind of enterprise uh, walks on the legs of people women and men that work every day with the customers and that and the who has to be have to be uh, the the most uh, is possible close to their mentality you have to create a, a certain chemistry in which uh, the the way uh, the employees consider this economy is similar, the most is possible, similar to the one of the people animating these activities, belonging to the sector. So we found a simple solution, asking uh, in the whole uh, population of colleagues in Intesa San Paolo, asking those ones, offering this opportunity to those ones that uh, had at this time and have now, even now, an experience, a direct experience in uh, third sector. So they are volunteer in uh, some kind of uh, social enterprise, in some kind of social entity. They are volunteers in their private life. This is a good clue of their, of their uh, let's say, concentration on those uh, principles, which are not necessarily economic, but mainly based on common good. They are sensitive to common good. Many other things uh, have been changed uh, in order to create a bank more efficient in evaluating uh, the, the sustainability of this sector, full impact sector. But there is one of them which was uh, considered by us as uh, a plus, something to be done in order to be even more efficient, even more effective. But at the end of the day, we discovered later, some years later, and before the starting, the starting of the entire discussion on uh, uh, impact, that we were working on something that can be defined as a way to understand what uh, or to uh, to define what impact can be considered for a bank. What is, the, uh, what is a, the impact of a bank? Because we are uh, we here, we, um, um, Simon Datling has called us, has told us uh, what, a, what, is a, what are the, principle, the principles of a, of a responsible banking. And uh, what is the sense of impact in this sense? Social impact, environmental impact. Putting together those uh, dimensions, the environmental one and the social one. We, as, uh, so as uh, uh, Pope Francis uh, uh, told us in, uh, recently in uh, his statements, he said that there is a, an idea of uh, universal and uh, he said exactly, uh, he said uh, a, integral ecology, which uh, uh, embodies the, both the, the dimensions, the, 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 the environmental and the social. For us, uh, making, producing impact, uh, producing impact is essentially 
now we can say this is our vision on, on, uh, on impact, but at that time we haven't, uh, we hadn't even, not even the, the, the definition of impact. Impact wasn't uh, in, in the field, wasn't out of the screen, impact, the concept of impact. Uh, at that time we worked uh, on the idea of including, including, this was the, the magic word uh, we used for the first time, including instead of excluding. Because uh, the line that uh, uh, ends the circle of the inclusion following the usual principles is the way the banks usually work. This way is not able to change things. To change things, you have to remove this uh, uh, rigid uh, division based on uh, uh, usual, usual uh, principles, and you have to widen the space of the inclusion. You have to transform some people or some entities excluded from credit into uh, people or uh, entities included, uh, included in, uh, in credit. This is possible through, in our opinion at least, uh, this is possible through a, a precise strategy. There is a, a point in our article, Articles of Association that says, uh, Article 26, says that uh, at least one half of the profits that the bank creates every year are transferred into a fund, and this fund acts like uh, a guarantee fund. It's not right in terms of uh, banking technique to call it as a uh, guarantee fund, but it works exactly the same way. It works reducing the, the risk in uh, giving credit to people or to organization in our case, because we were dedicated to entities, not to, to enterprises, not to, to individuals but in order to create the opportunity of being included for uh, organizations that were excluded from credit. It makes me a, a very uh, happy and lucky man because now I can say something that is in direct relationship with the, the impact, but uh, differently from many colleagues of mine, I can say what happened giving credit to those uh, entities. We gave credit to 1,700 uh, entities belonging to the third sector, which hadn't any capability to access to credit, so they were definitely excluded from credit. And they know what happens, what happened, what is happening to those uh, uh, entities now. And the uh, good news is that they are sustainable. 91% of them are uh, giving back the, the money we, we gave them. This number, 9% uh, of non-performing loans, in that area of people included due to the fund and just due to the fund, otherwise completely and definitely excluded from credit, is a number, 9%. Let's uh, uh, make some comparison with other sectors, for example. So the entire uh, 
population of uh, clients in Intesa San Paolo. Intesa San Paolo is considered as a good bank in terms of quality of credit. Uh, is are defaulting around uh, 6%, including all the best customers, and stopping where the line, the rigid line I mentioned before, is uh, traced. So nothing beyond that line. They, our colleagues, daily work just with organizations, people, uh, enterprises, families that uh, satisfy the usual criteria for receiving credit. The total average of the uh, non-performing loans is 6%. In this area, our area, which was the weakest one, the result was uh, 9%, not so far. The other 91% performed in a very interesting way. 10% of them changed bank. So at the end of the process, they gave back our money to us, and then they disappear from our screen, radar screen. They simply have selected another bank to work with. Good luck. Okay, they are admitted to credit. Mission accomplished. 25% of them remained in this uh, difficult gray area of the difficult sustainability. Many times, not because of their fault, but because uh, of the weakness of the Italian system. Try to work in a system when, where uh, you are paid by uh, state or regions or uh, public administration 1,000 days after the uh, service you have provided. 1,000 days. It's not so unique. It's not so unusual. So this 25% is a partial success. But I do not know who is the responsible for this weakness, persisting weakness. The very interesting thing is that 67%, the number exact, uh, the exact number is 67% uh, uh, of those entities are, have jumped inside the circle. From outside, definitely outside, definitely, definitely inside the circle. And sometimes uh, sailing to the center of the circle. You have understood the, the, the metaphor of, of the circle. In the middle of the circle, you have the best customer, the most sustainable, following normal criteria. And then, uh, let's say, check by check, you have a, a different and, uh, and uh, uh, a decreasing sustainability. And uh, at the end of the, of the scale, you have uh, the last included, following normal principles. And then you have the excluded. They are not the same. First excluded is not like the last one. The last one can't be sustained by uh, credit, in my opinion, at least. This is the way, the focus for the, for the initiative of uh, public or the initiative for uh, philanthropy or initiative for donations and so on. Banking uh, tools can work on those first excluded just if you have provided 
a tool, a, an instrument, a fund that allows you to do that in a usual way, in a new usual way, following a new routine, in an industrial way, not as a gift for a happy few, but as a, as a normal rule. What happens, what happens later? Uh, I forgot to say uh, an important thing. The whole quality of credit of Banca Prossima is 2.5.6% in non-performing loans. So two times better than Intesa San Paolo. Almost nine times better than the average, Italian average, for all the banks towards all the clients. Because that percentage, unfortunately, is around 18%, getting worse. So this weak economy, third sector economy, resisting to all the, uh, how those uh, Shakespeare says, the, the arrows and the, and the stones of the, of the destiny, uh, this economy performs uh, much better than the other economy for-profit economy, and the excluded part of this weak economy, so the weakest part of the weakest economy, performs even better, the double better of, uh, of, the, of the average. So this is a good, uh, the good experience of Banca Prossima, and uh, a significant, uh, a significant uh, uh, let's say, journey through this economy that has been, that uh, has to be discovered and uh, sustained and boosted by, by all the banks. This is the, the, the hope. At a certain point of our uh, history, uh, we have been absorbed by Intesa San Paolo. So we went back to the, to the, to the big bank. Uh, the merger between uh, Intesa San Paolo and Banca Prossima uh, has been accomplished during the, the May, last May. So here starts, starts a, a new story, coherent with those principles, but uh, uh, starting from that uh, point in the past, far away, in the past, 12 years ago. So what happened? What happened? The Intesa San Paolo cancelled the difference uh, between Intesa San Paolo as, a, as a, the big banking group and uh, Banca Prossima in terms of uh, uh, independence uh, of, the, of the society. So uh, uh, there isn't, uh, there isn't, no, there is no longer a, a legal entity, independent legal entity. All the principles are being conserved in a new setting, which transforms into Banca Prossima into a direction. It's a, direction, a central direction of Intesa San Paolo, working on the, same, uh, uh, on the same economic sector, with the same principles, with more people and more customers. Full stop. But something happened. The principle written in uh, the Article 26 of uh, the Articles of Association of Banca Prossima, said that a part of the profit 
has to be used as a guarantee fund in order to allow us to give credit to excluded uh, entities. This principle has been taken by Intesa San Paolo and transformed into a proper one. So Intesa San Paolo is working like Manca Prossima. Like Manca Prossima was uh, working since uh, and uh, has worked uh, uh, since uh, the foundation. And now we have a bigger fund, 20, uh, 250 million euro, with a multiplicator, a multiplier uh, by five. And for this reason, we can industrially give credit to for uh, 1 billion point 25 uh, euro to people, families, enterprises. No longer just uh, uh, social enterprises uh, people and uh, entities belonging to the third sector, but for the entire, for the entire uh, economy. The first uh, action uh, allowed or uh, see, allowed by the, by the fund has been, as you maybe already know, a generalized uh, loan given to the university students who are the not included category par excellence. They are all excluded from credit because they do not have uh, a wage, they do not have a patrimony to, be, uh, to, to become borrower for a bank, following normal criteria. They are beyond this rigid line I uh, mentioned before. Now they have been all admitted inside the circle of credit. We shall see what will happen. In my opinion, we will discover that they are excluded, they have been excluded, they are still excluded for other banks for a sort of a prejudice, not a judgment. Prejudice. And a sort, a sort of a comma 22, so the article 22 of, uh, uh, of the USA Army that says if you are just if you are crazy, you can be, uh, how do you say, dispensed, exonerated uh, from uh, the service on the first line. But if you ask for uh, an exoneration from, from that service, you are not crazy. So this is the, the loop where the entire uh, banking system is involved, uh, stickily involved uh, in, uh, in by the rules, by the conservation of those rules, by general uh, um, authorities, by a system which is uh, intensely sticky and conservative. This is our way to change this kind of uh, things in, in a small uh, dimension. Evidently, I, I'm not too proud of what we are doing, but uh, proud, yes, because this experience started so many years ago, now is uh, giving some, some significant fruits, in my opinion. Thank you, uh, Mr. Morganti. I will leave the floor to Isabella Aloisio, who was the, uh, my partner in organizing this uh, seminar. Um, sorry, could, could I just formulate a yeah. recommendation to our chair and moderator? Um, to involve also the room, oh, yeah. could we imagine to have a first round 
knowing that the academics haven't spoken yet, <laughs> so he will, he will last, um, to involve the, the audience if there are questions of clarification, uh, and, then, and then have a second round if you agree afterwards. Okay, you're right, yeah. Then maybe we'll... Do, do we still have Simone online? Unfortunately, no. no. She said that she would have been with us... Until 5.30, yes. yeah, okay. So we lost Simone, but we, from the audience, every, anybody who wants to... Ask question. Yeah, please. Hi, um, so I'm, um, my name is Diletta Lenzi. I'm a postdoc researcher and I'm researching on, uh, I'm a lawyer, so I'm researching on social impact bonds and social bonds, so hybrid forms of uh, financing. And so, um, what, what I'm seeing like, uh, in my research is that there is a, a huge uh, problem of uh, ensuring the integrity of these new markets. And integrity is, is crucial to avoid what we call like greenwashing or whitewashing so that uh, the actor that generally uh, want to generate a positive social or environmental impact are, do, not, um, uh, do not have, uh, um, how you call it, um, um, concurrenza sleale, I'm sorry, uh, uh, unfair competition, thank you, an unfair competition of other actors. And um, what I, what I my, my fear with these principles is that um, I understand they have to involve the, the, the global market, but still they are quite generic in terms of definition. So for instance, what, I, what I'm, I'm, I'm noticing now is that uh, some banks are issuing social bonds um, identifying the social impact just in uh, the access to credit or in financing SMEs. So, um, I mean, this is, uh, this is a quite generic, in my opinion, in, it's, it's a quite generic uh, uh, impact. So, um, I don't know, like, uh, actually, uh, this is a question I wanted to, to ask to um, Simone, uh, but I don't know if some of you can, uh, can explain me better what's your opinion and um, yeah that's my, my main question okay it's a very clear question and is anybody wants to I will say something in my intervention yeah. about that so okay. I will wait for you yeah. <laughs> anybody else so okay. Isabel so thank you everybody being for being here and uh, all the speakers and especially Simone uh, Detling from Unit Finance of uh, uh, having presented the principle for responsible banking and I I had the idea uh, to to have this seminar uh, during the summer I was reading the principles and. Uh, and I found them very, very uh, relevant uh, for uh, sustainable finance. And for this, after that, I discussed with Simone Siliani, and we decided to have this, uh, this seminar. Um, just before uh, starting with the presentation, which will be a short presentation, I'd like to, um, to say why, why these principles are so uh, relevant. Uh, why do I think that they are so relevant? Because, um, well, not only institutional investors, so pension funds and uh, uh, insurance companies, sovereign wealth funds, but banks have really 
um, are really um, due to the considerable assets under management uh, that they have, they are really relevant in the uh, transition to a low carbon economy and society. So, um, but banks um, are really relevant because they're really spread out all over the world and uh, with more, uh, you know, bigger or smaller banks. But for instance, in Africa, uh, the role of banks is uh, increasing much more and uh, in, uh, so for the, the, the transition to a low carbon economy and especially, uh, for instance, South African banks are really participating a lot into the transformation of the energy system in all Africa and, uh, and, so, and the development of uh, a sustainable economy. So I think that uh, banks have really some added value uh, in this, in this uh, specific role. So now, um, so this um, sentence from uh, this declaration from uh, Antonio Guterres during the um, launch of the principles in, uh, in New York on the uh, last uh, 22nd of September, um, is I found it uh, you know, very interesting. So the principles create the accountability that can realize responsibility and the ambition that can drive action. So the ambition is very important. In every, uh, so climate, let's say, in my field, climate ambition is something very, very relevant that will drive action. Uh, so uh, the first principle um, is, um, is really key because uh, it calls for banks to commit to integrate the SDGs and the Paris Climate Agreement uh, targets in their capital allocation decisions. And uh, this uh, is really relevant because means uh, that uh, this alignment uh, of investments uh, uh, with the financial mechanisms of the uh, convention, so of the United Nations Framework uh, Convention on Climate Change, and the operating entities. Uh, these operating entities of the UNFCCC are the Green Climate Fund and the Global Environment Facility. Uh, so what role of bank here? Um, the role of banks is really the need for more private uh, finance. Uh, so that uh, is really key for um, for this uh, um, for the achieving of the SDGs and the Paris uh, Agreement targets. So and in this uh, uh, sense, the banks can really cooperate and uh, and uh, really um, co-finance through the Green Climate Fund and uh, and finance through uh, the uh, Global Environment Facility. So this is important. Uh, this we have seen already, um, just uh, uh, as, um, uh, since we have here one of the actors who have signed the, uh, the agreement. So as a signatory banks uh, among the Italian uh, banks, we have Intesa San Paolo and Monte Paschi de Siena who just joined uh, just a few days before uh, the launching of the principles. And then Alex Bank, which is one of the banks from, uh, um, from the group of Intesa San Paolo in Egypt. Um, so. Uh, now I'd like to tackle uh, the issue of non-financial reporting. So the Financial Stability uh, Board, through uh, its task force on climate-related financial disclosures, set out recommendations on how non-financial and financial corporations, so in this case banks, should report on their climate change-related risk. So unlike most of other uh, companies, banks uh, are really both providers and users of climate-related information. And, uh, uh, so for non-financial reporting, we have uh, uh, a directive um, the, in 2014. This is the directive on non of disclosure of non-financial information, which was transposed in, uh, in Italy through a legislative decree in uh, two years uh, later, in 2016. Um, after
after that, we have another directive, uh, but uh, last, uh, it's this uh, proposal, which was uh, quite recent, was last year, uh, a proposal for a new regulation on disclosures relating to sustainable investments and sustainable risks. So it added up the sustainable risk into the, uh, into the discourse. And well, this is more or less what this uh, proposal um, stands out. Uh, basically, it's for all investment products. Um, uh, there are both, uh, so who should disclose? Um, this is compulsory for financial entities, so for, for instance, for banks, uh, with more than 500 staff members. And then there are other criteria on, uh, on the revenues, and, uh, uh, but this is the first, uh, the first criteria. So more than 500 staff members, this is compulsory disclosure. But then you have all, I mean, this proposal uh, would uh, call for uh, disclo disclosure by all other financial entities, and uh, really to uh, disclose uh, the net, really discuss what are the negative impacts on the financial returns arising from sustainability risks. And, um, and then uh, you have uh, other kind of investments, uh, uh, products uh, with the sustainability characteristics, uh, which also uh, this uh, proposal uh, from the European Commission calls for um, disclosure by all uh, financial entities. And this is, uh, uh, I mean, what to disclose is, uh, I mean, how these uh, uh, sustainability characteristics and objectives are met. Uh, so this is just a proposal, uh, was a communication from the European Commission, and uh, so we don't uh, know yet, but we hope that it will be taken into consideration and maybe become another uh, directive. Um, so uh, what are also the European Commission, uh, more recently, uh, in July this year, um, issued new guidelines on reporting climate-related information. These are just guidelines, so are not binding, uh, and are based on uh, the proposals from the Technical Expert Group on Sustainable Finance, which is a group uh, from the European, uh, I mean, uh, institutionalized by the European uh, Commission to work on sustainable finance. And uh, um, these uh, uh, guidelines are consistent with the non-financial reporting directed directive and uh, the whose target audience is uh, uh, 6,000 listed companies, banks and insurance companies. Um, so what these uh, new guidelines uh, um, call for? What, what do they say? So basically, uh, uh, for banks. So banks include uh, in non-financial, should include in non-financial disclosure um, the potential impact on climate change of their prospective investments and loans. Uh, then they should uh, really show uh, in this reporting, in their reporting, the development trend of the amount of carbon-related assets in the different portfolios and also the related risks over time. Um, then also, they should uh, um, show what is the, their exposure of their financial assets and also non-financial assets and uh, all assets under management to climate-related risks with uh, uh, trying to really make a breakdown uh, between physical and transition risks. So physical risks is what, you know, climate change as physical risk is, is really uh, an impact on uh, um, assets on, um, on uh, how do you say, um, yeah, physical, physical impacts, what really you would uh, believe, uh, you, you know, some, you know, uh, a flood, so it would destroy uh, a city, for instance. And transitions risks is really what uh, uh, 
um, what, uh, uh, for instance, in the banking, uh, case, in, the, in the case of banks, uh, what, um, what is their risk in terms of um, enhancing the uh, transition to a low carbon economy? So, for instance, all this, uh, I mean, normally in transition risks, there are all the issue of stranded assets. Uh, this is uh, the, the, main, the main topic for the transition risks. But uh, so, last but not least, uh, banks, uh, according to these new guidelines, uh, should uh, characterize par risk categories. So, differentiate uh, between credit risk, market risk, and operational risk. And, um, but the mo most interesting uh, um, thing that uh, is uh, in the guidelines, according to me, is the fact that. Um, the European Commission uh, suggests that the, uh, the, in disclosing the indicators related, relative to greenhouse gas emissions, the banks should really focus on the scope three of uh, uh, the uh, greenhouse gas emissions, which are indirect greenhouse gas emissions occurred in the value chain. So not really focusing on scope one or scope two, two of greenhouse gas emissions, which are uh, direct emissions, or in the case of scope two, indirect emissions from the generation or purchased energy, but really focus on the scope three. So really, because uh, uh, according to the European Commission, uh, banks are, um, have much less, uh, let's say, greenhouse gas emissions of scope one and two, but more on the scope uh, three. And uh, so this is just a slide. This is a survey from uh, McKinsey um, who, um, that really uh, tried to uh, assess what are the costs for uh, non-financial risks for banks. And uh, according to McKinsey, the costs are rising um, quite much. And, in, uh, and from in, the, in the period from 2008 to 2012, uh, uh, the top 10 banks uh, basically globally lost $200 billion um, through litigation, compensation, and claims. Uh, so this is really uh, rising the cost. So non-financial reporting is, uh, um, is a cost for, for banks, uh, according to McKinsey. And uh, another topic that uh, I would like to raise, and maybe we can discuss more uh, together, uh, something that I, I, I really reading quite recently about it is fintech for sustainability. So uh, banks, uh, uh, according to a study by Navaretti et al., uh, banks will adapt to technological innovations and will be unlikely replaced by fintechs. However, uh, fintechs could play a role in sustainability uh, and uh, through, for instance, the crowdfunding uh, uh, fintechs. And, um, but, also, but we know that existing, existing fintechs, incubators, and accelerators do not typ typically solve for sustainable development. So they are, um, they are not yet into, into, this, uh, into this, but they have all the potentials of being, uh, I'd say, to really to solve for sustainability because uh, they can, uh, um, I don't know how you know if, how fintech work, works, but basically, um, if you invest in a fintech, uh, it's a kind of a risk. Uh, um, it's a risky, risky investment because you don't have guarantees uh, because it's lack of regulation. It's not like investing in a bank, which is involved in a regulatory process. But, but uh, the, the the good, let's say, the, the pro that uh, that I can see. Uh, is that uh, you can uh, uh, invest in a specific project, so knowing exactly what your money are going to invest. But this now we have known today that even if you invest in Ethics Bank or in Tesla Sao Paulo, then you, you, you know that. 
uh, and you have more certainty. But I mean, is uh, you know, crowdfunding is something that is coming up, and uh, it has to be analyzed better. So. Uh, last but not least, uh, I yesterday was reading uh, Corriere Economia, and I've seen that uh, there is a new book uh, that will uh, that has just uh, been published by Bertrand Batre, uh, which is the former director general of the World Bank, which basically um, writes about highlights the uh, destructive role of finance in the global economic crisis. Uh, but however, he finds that finance can, uh, is not an enemy, and if it's well regulated, it can really contribute to solve main global challenges. And uh, uh, in, in his book, he points out that uh, um, uh, up to uh, $14 trillion uh, are today invested with negative profits, and if this same amount would be diverted to uh, sustainable development goals, um, according to uh, Badre, the uh, 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and its goals would be uh, not only implemented, but basically uh, um, achieved. So this is uh, interesting reading, I think, for who is interested in climate finance. So thank you very much, and uh, if you have questions, I'm here. Okay, if there are any questions from the audience, yeah, one and two. Please. Uh, I quickly would like to intervene due to the uh, word legally binding that was on your slide right now. And uh, I was thinking, and uh, Mr. Moganti and uh, Messina, which are not here right now, uh, I'm sure they will uh, follow these guidelines and maybe go even beyond that. Uh, the name of the bank, Banca Etica, tells already uh, how determined and which are the priorities for these kind of institutions the division of Inter de San Paolo also. Uh, but when I read names like Société Générale, BNP Paribas, and Barclays, I'm asking myself, in a transition period where uh, interest rates are decreasing uh, globally, so bank margins are being squeezed, and I'm asking myself, how can you, without a enforcement, a legal enforcement, how can you convince this the big fellas to uh, basically <laughs> renounce to double-digit profits and, and invest on something where they're less knowledgeable, harder to uh, understand the collateral, harder to understand future cash flows of that kind of project. Uh, so my question is, should we work more on governments and change their opinion and, and change regulation, or with CEOs and, and people from these big institutions? Great question. Uh, One billion dollars question. Uh, maybe uh, Fabio Iraldo from the Scuola Superiore Sant'Anna di Pisa will have some answers to that. No. <laughs> Thank you very much. So to allow me to, I will reply very, uh, with an opening uh, statement and then I will try to, you know, tell you something more about that, I will reply to you as the CEO of Morgan Stanley just replied to an interview. If we don't have a planet, it is rather unlikely that we will have a, a good performing financial system. Uh, that's, the, that's the joke. More seriously, um, yeah, there are a lot of weak points. Huh? In, in everything that is happening. I'm, I'm, 
yeah, I'm a researcher, but I have been working with banks, insurances. We have been carried out some European project on sustainable finance. I was part of, a, of a, uh, an ethic uh, committee of a, uh, uh, a sustainable fund asset manager. So I had quite a few opportunities of see of seeing how it works in reality. So what I'm going to tell you is not research stuff, it's more practitioning. Huh? So as a practitioner, what, what, I, what I've seen. First of all, I will try to reply to the question that you made at the beginning, that, that Mr. Chairman made at the beginning, starting from the last one, principles. Huh? Are, are they good? Voluntary principles, they are very good. They, they have proved they can work at an early stage to start up a movement towards some ethical, collective, common good, okay? They have proved to be very, very effective at an early stage. Then, principles need to be put in practice, okay? So, the first question is, are we still in an early stage and, and, and so they work, they still work, or maybe something is happening around us. My feeling is that, yes, we are still in an early stage. We have many different principles, and the UNEP fee principles are just, you know, uh, something that gathers together many different principles, but then we had the equator principles, we had a lot of uh, good guidance for the behavior of companies, uh, of banks, of insurances, financial institutions. Sometimes they voluntarily adhered, and, and sometimes they were able to put them in practice. But if you look at general banks, then the problem seems to be that what it is very easy to you know, stick to some principles, but rather difficult to have operational tools and ways to comply with them. So what we have found in banks, for example, ordinary banks that were trying to, you know, tackle the idea that in the future something could happen and so they had to be accountable, they have to prepare to do something you know, relevant for that, is that, for example, credit risk assessment tools are lacking. Okay? Principles are very clear, but once a credit manager in a bank has to judge if a company is worth to be funded with sustainable principles, uh, they lack methodologies because it's far too complicated for them. And we have worked a lot, with, a lot with the banks and you know we started to say, okay, you have to take into consideration that there might be hidden liabilities in, in a factory. Hidden what? Uh, you need to take into consideration scope three because maybe, oh, they say we have a very low carbon footprint in our company, yeah because we have very low emissions, yes. But if you buy intermediate goods that are carbon intensive and you are importing them from China, maybe your carbon footprint in the supply chain is even worse. At, at some stage, they stopped. It was prematured. They didn't have even the internal know-how on how to do that. So that's, that's the first, the first you know, obstacle, the first that hinders the diffusion of principle is not that they don't want to do that or that it shrinks margin for profit. It's that they don't know 
how to do that with their own personnel, with their own knowledge. With it's it's far too complicated. So, and and that's a that's a problem because if a bank doesn't know how to do it, it does it its own way. Okay, and the company, for example, today is very much worried about financial risk, which is very good because it's something that might turn out to be a very you know, a problem. But what Isabella was saying about the transition risk, that's what they're worrying about. You know what is transition risk? Is the risk coming from the fact that we will need to shift to renewables. So what banks are worried, it's that they are too exposed with fossil sources, okay? Eight, the strand, what is a stranded asset? It's something you have invested in, a company, which relies on fossil fuels. If we stick to two degree scenario, okay, 80% of the investments, it's what they call unburnable carbon. Okay? They are there, but you cannot use them if the legislation is going to you know, be binding. So that's a paradox. They are, they are shifting to renewables because they want to adapt their portfolio, their assets, to the adjusting the transition risk which might work you know it's something that leads you to improve in any case but this is something that has to me very unuseful basis grounds because it works on sectors okay what 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 the european commission is doing is they are trying to make banks and, and insurances and financial actors assess the environmental risk of a company by relying on the sector in which the company operates. That's the taxonomy. You know the taxonomy? Taxonomy is exactly that. And I'm struggling with the people in the commission. We have a couple of Italian representatives that they know what I'm talking about. You cannot judge a, the risk of a company, the climate change risk, by just looking at what is the sector, you know, because otherwise we wouldn't have had electric cars because cars are, you know, great pollutants. So if you operate in the car sector, you're not funded, you're not sustainable. So who says that? We wouldn't have had uh, water-based paints, no? In, this is against innovation. So what banks should do is judging on the company, on what a specific company is doing, regardless of the sector. The sector works very well for social impact. Huh? It's a very good proxy for social impact, but not for climate change and not for environment. So it's like two weights that you have to, you have to use. So principles, to reply to your question, today are quite generic. And what is happening is that there is a sort of, uh, uh, well, we can see at the horizon that mandatory legislation is coming, okay? The European Commission is very clear about that. The principles, voluntary principles are very good, but I'm thinking of a package which makes it, which makes it mandatory for banks to invest in a sustainable way according to some criteria. So, in, at the stage in which the European Commission is coming with the mandatory legislation, and you can see it approaching, then probably principles are good, but not enough anymore. 
you should be able to take principles and bring them into practice by doing what? You know, by finding operational criteria, by finding methods, by finding ways in which you can measure a company, not just by the sector, uh, but not in a too complex way. Otherwise, banks will not do that. Yeah, they can rely on consultants. What they have done in the last 10 years, 15 years, they have relied on consultants, carried out estimations, like insurances. Now, if they had to uh, make an insurance to a company, they send an environmental consultant coming back with all the liabilities and so on, which is good, but it's very expensive. So, companies should be subject to disclosure in such a way that banks can have all the information to measure their performance. And on their turn, banks should be uh, uh, subject to disclosure because we want to know where is our money. No? So if, if you invest in sectors and sustainable sectors, a lot of money can go in the waste treatment sector, which is classified as green. Why? Because it's the waste treatment, so it's green. Have you the farthest idea of how different can be the process of treating waste from very green to very gray? So what we are really, what is really dangerous is, is that we are fostering a, a sustainable investment that, that goes in the wrong direction and that works for climate change and so on. So what we need is disclosure and being able to make information uh, uh, available for banks. Is the non-financial directive going in that way? Partially. The day before yesterday, a research has been presented uh, on all the DNF, the, the declaration on non-financial that have been published by Italian companies, uh, to check what kind of indicators they were talking about. Very, very few information, especially on environment. Very few information, very general indicators. Why? Because the directive is not clear, doesn't make it mandatory to use some indicators. It, they're just suggested. You can rely, and there is an annex on different methodology you can use to report your environmental performance. That is not enough. That is not enough. That cannot work. If you then have uh, Ernst & Young or Pricewater carrying out the third-party verification on the DNF, they're not going into the depth of the real importance of the environmental information. So it's a good direction, but it's not enough. One last thing I would like to add, if we talk about climate change, we also should talk about adaptation, not just mitigation. Where is adaptation in the sustainable finance? We would like to know that. We would like to see that because, you know, there's, we have carried out lots of projects on adaptation. We have a wonderful operational tool, uh, web tool for banks to check what is the risk of a company that is located in an area, operating with certain processes, uh, with certain products, if it, is, if it uses water or not, if it's close to a river or not. And we have presented that to a lot of banks in Italy. You know what they said to us? It's far too complicated. We want to judge the risk very quickly. 
We don't want to have a tool that it's very complicated to use. So, once again, if we don't have a planet, we will not have a very healthy financial system. Maybe, maybe making things mandatory, it's the right way, but again, you have to feed the system with tools, information, viable methods to be used by banks. Otherwise, you can make it mandatory. Italian banks, we will find a way to, you know, rip, to comply, okay? Don't ask yourself, uh, like Italian banks, like Italian companies, like Italian citizens, eh? I'm not talking about, uh, with some exceptions of, of banks that have the, 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 the sustainability in the DNA, okay? But other banks, you know, it's a compliance. Well, we will, we will try to reply to the compliance, which is mandatory. I think it's a good way to go forward. I mean, a step forward with respect to voluntary principles. Voluntary principles will survive because they will raise the bar and they will become more ambitious and they will maybe turn into a voluntary certification of excellence of those funds or those banks that are really, really uh, taking care of climate change. So we raise all the bars, but what is really important is to get the banks equipped with something that they can use. Otherwise, you know, they could be a great uh, uh, goodwill banks, but they will not be able to do nothing. Thank you. We got right to the point. I will give the floor to Pierre Schlosser for the final closing remarks. If there's anybody who wants to... Yeah, that was my first remark. Any yeah. questions? Thank you, Kinanya. Um, I think we've talked about, about many things today. I must apologize to some of the panelists who have left, but also to record videos. And I think it's important also for uh, public uh, awareness raising to go out of the UI for those, um, for those discussions. Um, I think we've talked about impact, corporate governance, divestments, uh, lower NPL levels, um, unburnable carbon principles to practice was one of the points too. Um, we talked about context and I think if you think back, if you look back at 2008 when Lehman got, uh, got bust, um, where one of the principles of the banking system at the time was too big to fail. Now we discuss about, about other styles and other types of principles. I think the context in 10 years has changed a lot. Uh, it changed also over the duration of a PhD, I think, four years, um, where we could see that actors were looking at ethical finance, sustainable finance, uh, in a very distant way, uh, be them commercial banks, be them central banks, and now it's really becoming mainstream. And as part of that movement towards mainstream, uh, I think that we should also be very aware uh, of why, what is driving that and what maybe has, has driven also this initiative, which I think that banks are, of course, trying to secure the social license to, to operate. They want this to be safe. They are concerned that other actors are entering the field, and this is, explains, I think, a lot of the activity uh, that you've seen in the field, also in terms of principles or, or goodwill, generally. Um, so I think that there we should also be very careful 
And one of the reflections I had when listening to the presentation earlier about the, the principles themselves was, you know, is there is there a sort of limitation to the use of uh, PR of those initiatives? Like when banks introduce themselves, how often can they say that they've been part of this initiative or that they've completed this initiative? Because then you can really wonder, do they do that for greenwashing or is there is there a security in the system uh, of those voluntary uh, principles? Um, I think that I don't want to to go further in details and reflections because I think we had a very dense uh, discussion today. Um, we talked, I think, generally about incentives, perverse incentives and, and benign incentives. Um, and I think that we talked about also about green and brown. There are a lot of areas, of gray areas in between, um, which I think should be explored further, such as you know, how, how would you classify gas, for example? Is it really a green asset? I mean, how brown is it? I think there are a lot of discussions going on on this and on this assessment. And I think perhaps a last point um, would be related to the one of the assumptions, I think, in this naming and shaming dynamic, which is that banks indeed can uh, switch clients. I think that's that's what also um, Simone was implying when she was saying we shouldn't look at divestments only, we should look at this relationship and the leverage that banks have over their clients. Well, in a low, low interest rate context uh, and environment, you can wonder exactly you know, how, how strong that leverage is and whether indeed a focus on divestments wouldn't be, wouldn't be so bad. Um, but I'll leave, you, I'll leave you with the energy of Kinanya's talk. And I thank everyone, panelists, chair, moderator, and you, of course, for your questions. And uh, if you'd like to continue the discussion methodologically a bit differently, uh, because we'll have a more quantitative uh, twist uh, to climate risk integration on the 30th of October, um, it's, we're going to have a roundtable. Again, there, FSR Climate, Florence School of Banking and Finance, uh, very, very gladly. Um, on, I think we're going to be at the Badia this time. Um, where we're going to have economists talking about how to integrate climate risk into their, their, um, their macro-modeling. Uh, so a bit further, let's say, technical. But nonetheless, very interesting because I think we were talking about earlier about this uh, drive and need to integrate new methodologies in, in banks. I think we should add regardless of size and, uh, uh, and dimension. So thanks, thanks again for that very useful and stimulating uh, discussion.